Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannon. And joining me on this episode is Amy C. Wanninger, CEO over at Lead at Any Level. Amy is a key voice in helping professionals broaden their perspectives and achieve success in their journey. While some approach with trepidation, Amy helps to cast these subjects in another light, reminding us all that the failure to engage serves only to limit opportunities. In her book, Network Beyond Bias, she challenges us to invest in people and ideas outside your own norms to create opportunities for yourself and others. That sounds like a pretty good mission, and we're going to talk a bit about that today. Hey, Amy, welcome to the show. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Bill. So, Amy, beyond my reintroduction there, why don't you start by telling our listeners all about yourself? I understand that your background is in tech, so uh, perhaps as part of that answer, you can you can share what brought you to what you do now. Sounds great. So I started my career um, as a professional in the IT industry. I was a uh, software developer early on. I moved from that kind of work into leadership, more you know, analysis, design, project management, eventually into people management, and then from there into consulting in the insurance industry. And when I became a consultant in the insurance industry, I kind of fell in love with the mission of the industry and made a more permanent switch, I guess as permanent as anything is in our careers these days. And I worked in the insurance industry for about 12 years total and moved up in management there. And while I was in insurance, in IT, which honestly is a black hole of nerddom, right? If you if you took the nerdiest people in the world, you would find them probably in IT, in the insurance industry. And I was right in the middle of all of that, which was great. Um, but I felt like I could be doing more for the people around me. And the company that I was working for at the time hired a chief diversity officer. I believe that was in 2012. And I started reading about all the work that that they were doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion work in the organization, or more specifically diversity and inclusion work, I guess, um, in the organization and what that department was tasked with, what their goals were, what they were hoping to engage in and and accomplish. And I thought, man, I want to be a part of that. So I started volunteering for everything I possibly could. If they didn't lock me out of the room, I was there asking questions, trying to help, you know, whether it was, you know, reconfiguring tables in the conference room or, you know, taking notes or anything I could do to just get to be part of this work. Because having grown up in IT as a young woman in the early 2000s, you know, I had been made to feel like I didn't belong in a lot of rooms that I was in and in a lot of teams that I was on. And as I started reflecting on that more and more, I realized that I had it pretty easy compared to a lot of my coworkers um, because, you know, there were ways that I fit in or ways that I could kind of you know, hide in my identity that others couldn't. And I realized that even though I had felt left out, I was a lot more included than some of my colleagues were. So I really wanted to engage in this work in a meaningful way. Um, and then in 2016, I attended a conference that was dedicated to the industry that I was in. 
And there were a lot of sessions on diversity and inclusion topics. Um, the way I describe them, Bill, is we talked a lot about the different facets of what I call the problem. We talked about generation gaps, uh, sexism, ageism, racism, glass ceilings, bamboo ceilings, you know, ableism, disability, um, and accessibility issues. But there, we were really short on solutions for some of those things. It was a lot of identifying the problem and not really, I wasn't walking away with notes about what I could do differently. And I decided that I was going to do some research on that. What could I personally do as one small cog in this huge machine to make a difference for myself and for the people around me and to really advance um, inclusion within an industry that was known for being, you know, very exclusive, very traditional, very conservative. And if you'll forgive me, very pale, stale and male. I mean, the the industries that I had worked in had all been very, you know, heavily dominated by older white men in the executive and senior leadership ranks. And I really wanted to do something about that, but I didn't have the power to change policy. So I decided to start with where I was and who I knew and how I moved through the world. And that's, that's kind of where my work in this space began. We'll be right back to this conversation after this brief sponsor message. The Jovio platform enables businesses to buy, manage, and track recruitment media. This includes job sites, social, and search marketplaces to attract and hire the most relevant applicants on time and within their budget. Powering more than 20 million jobs every day, our data-driven recruitment advertising platform uses advanced data science and machine learning to dynamically manage and optimize talent sourcing and applications across all online channels while providing real-time insights at every step of the job seeker journey. Learn more at Jovio.com. In the business world, what does good leadership look like to you? Well, you know, we've had, we've seen an evolution of leadership over time in, in business, right? We used to have command and control style leadership that was really a relic of, you know, the industrial age that sort of moved into more servant-based leadership that we started reading about in the seventies and eighties and even, you know, early into the 1990s. Um, from there, we evolved into more of a strengths-based leadership model where, you know, we focus on what do people do well and how do we harness what people do well to build stronger teams. But I think we're ready for a new evolution of leadership. I think inclusive leadership is really what's asked of us in this new century when we're seeing more global teams, more demographic shifts, different expectations, especially from younger generations of workers and consumers about how they want to interact with businesses. And for inclusive leaders, you know, there it's really understanding everything that came before, right? And being in service to the people that you're leading, but recognizing that everybody needs something a little bit different from you as a leader. Everybody's going to face different obstacles, different challenges, maybe than you yourself did or than other people on your team. And how do we make space to share those stories, understand them, respond to them and clear obstacles that we to this point may not have even seen or have known to have existed. Some of the skills I think inclusive leaders need specifically are being responsive to change. Uh, being able to network effectively across difference and build solid relationships across difference, being able to see what's best in people 
and give them appropriate opportunities for their skills and their ambitions. Being able to give and receive feedback effectively, that's something that's lost on a lot of leaders. Uh, They're very good at giving feedback, not so good at receiving it or vice versa. And, you know, really creating and instilling in employees what it means to be constantly in growth mindset, constantly evolving, and really building a learning culture that propagates throughout the team, throughout the organization. So everyone feels comfortable asking good questions, innovating, challenging old ideas, and, you know, really bringing all of themselves, all of their ideas, all of their insights and perspectives into the workplace so the best ideas can truly bubble up. Now then, I'd love for you to tell me about your book, Network Beyond Bias, Making Diversity a Competitive Advantage for Your Career. So tell us all about it, uh, why you wrote it, and what are some of the hoped-for learning outcomes? You bet. So I wrote Network Beyond Bias in 2018. It was my very first book, and I am still so proud of this book and how relevant it has remained despite a lot of upheaval in the way we work, the way we interact, and the way we think about some of these concepts around diversity and inclusion. I wrote the book because I really wanted to answer the question, yeah, but what can I do? What can I do about some of these structural problems, some of these interpersonal problems that I'm seeing in the workplace? How can I move more effectively in this space so that I can create more opportunity for myself and for others? And what I realized in thinking about this problem and thinking about how I would solve it was there weren't a lot of people thinking about this this notion or this um you know, this body of work in this way, right? In the personal commitment, sort of leading from wherever you are space. And I really wanted to solve for that for myself so I could share it with others. And what I realized was, you know, we all have assumptions and experiences that are based on how we grew up, on the values and norms that we accept as truth, on the, um, you know, the judgments that we make about others, the experiences that we choose, the relationships that we nurture. Similarly, though, we're missing a lot because we tend to gravitate toward people and experiences that are familiar to us, that are comfortable. And when I realized this and I realized how out of balance my own network was, my own kind of inner circle professionally, I realized that I was not being the person I thought I was being. I wasn't doing um, what I said I was doing or what I thought I was doing in terms of the way I moved about my career, moved around my company um, and moved around, you know, the workplace. And so when I thought about this, I thought, well, what would a good network look like? What would a good, robust, diverse and inclusive network look like? And I created an assessment, which is at the end of the book, to help people see in black and white Who do you need in your network? Who's there and who's missing? And when we look at it, you know, sort of objectively, right, we can see that we all, most of us anyway, tend to gravitate toward people that we're most comfortable around, people that look like us, think like us, work in the same industries that we do, you know, maybe even in the same country or the same part of the country that we live in. And honestly, I will tell you that in some industries that I've worked with, some people don't even network outside of their own department within their own company. And that can be really devastating, you know, in 
the situation of a reorg or a merger or acquisition, because then any lifeline they have to the outside world, if their positions are eliminated, is really gone and they're struggling and scrambling just like everyone else. When, you know, if they could really expand that network, they would have a place to land and they would be able to take people with them. And so I, I thought about this all in terms of how does this help one's own career? But then when we think about the opportunities that are available to us, how does that opportunity flow to us and from whom and to whom and with whom do we share those opportunities out in our networks? And really, it's about who do you have on speed dial? Who do you think of first and who's missing? And when I when I took my own assessment, I will be honest, I was absolutely devastated at what I saw. But what I learned from that experience was even though I believed my heart to be in the right place, my heart was never going to be in the right place if I didn't move my feet and take some action that was different. And so that's what I started doing. And what changed for me and what I learned from that ultimately became the book that I wrote and was the foundation for this company that I've created, Lead at Any Level. We will return to this conversation after this quick message from our sponsoring partner. The days of matching web keyword searches with resumes and job descriptions is over. It's all about cultural fit. Workzinger empowers job seekers looking for jobs and employers looking for new hires to have thoughtful and insightful conversations, making the recruiting process more successful for both sides. Learn more at workzinger.com. Okay, I get it. Networking is pretty important. Um, but what, what about what about those people out there who um, are a bit shy? Uh, they don't like, really like to put themselves out there. They don't like to put their own personal brand out there, whether in person or online. Can you just sort of drive home, uh, just as a continuation of what you said there, can you drive home to those people why they need to make the leap and what kind of support is available to them too? Yeah. So remember when I wrote this book, I was working in IT in the insurance industry. So I was not, and I'm still not, uh, a huge extrovert, right? In certain or in certain groups, in certain rooms, I appear to be an extrovert just because everyone else is so reserved. But if you put me, you know, on a conference floor at a sales conference, I would probably need a nap pretty quickly because I just can't maintain that kind of energy with other people all day. So I, I really do understand this reluctancy to network. And part of this book came out of my own overwhelm with going to conferences and trying to figure out how do I make connections with people I don't know? How do I you know, work the room or make small talk? These things are really uncomfortable for me innately. And so what I would say to people, especially people who identify as strong introverts, is let that be your networking superpower. If you're an introvert and you're in a room full of people, you are likely one of the few who is willing to ask good questions and listen. And think about it. If you're an introvert and everybody around you wants to talk and they're all talking at each other and no one's listening, they're not making connection. You can be the one person in the room to let somebody talk, really absorb what you're hearing, and then feed that back to them with another question and, a, you know, make a good connection on a deeper level than some of the surface conversations that are happening in the room. So I, my advice to people who hate networking is lean into that. What makes you uncomfortable about it? And then think about where are you most comfortable and how can you make that your networking superpower? So for me, it was about, I didn't want to be salesy or schmoozy. I wanted to be helpful and authentic. 
And so I gamified that. I decided at a conference that I went to, I would try to help three people a day at the conference. And once I'd helped three people a day, I could just relax because my work there was done. And that help may, you know, may have come in the form of, uh, you know, helping somebody collate papers that was scrambling frantically before a breakout session or, you know, recommending a book to somebody who asked a really good question in a general session or, you know, sitting down at lunch and listening to somebody and ask them, well, what problems are you trying to solve at work? And maybe recommending a book that I had read on that topic or an article that I had read. So networking is not about getting your business card into as many people's hands in as many people's hands as possible. Networking is really about building relationships. And everybody does that in their own way. We just need to reframe how we think about networking. I love that perspective. Thank you very much. Okay, so for listeners le- listening into this episode today, sorry, for leaders listening into this episode today, what, what is one simple step that they can take to positively impact DEI initiatives within their teams? So the first thing I would tell a leader who is new to the DEI um, you know, body of work or who has not engaged in the past is find out what your company is doing and why they're doing it. What is the the bottom line impact of the work are they is the company engaged because they are you know looking to expand into new markets from a consumer perspective are they looking to shore up a talent deficit in the industry are they looking for you know to round out or diversify um, a product or service offering what is the the why behind the DEI effort in your organization find that out Because that'll help you know how and where to engage for the biggest impact in your organization. For the biggest impact for each person, I would say if your organization has events or employee resource groups or even, you know, cultural celebrations at work, show up. You don't have to speak. You don't have to ask a question, but just show up and listen and find out why it's important to the people that are there. Find out what you've been missing, what perspective didn't you know about until that moment, and just keep showing up. You can be as as timid about it as you want at first, and eventually your comfort level will grow. But especially if you're leading somebody, you know, you're leading a team of people and they're involved. For example, let's say um, you're a white woman who's leading a team and somebody on your team is involved in the Asian Um, American uh, Employee Resource Group in your organization, go to a meeting of the Asian American Employees ERG and find out what they're doing and why that matters. Show up for the people that show up for you every day and find out how you can help. Perfect. Thank you very much. And um, if folks want to maybe get some more of your advice... Amy, how can how can they learn more about and connect with you? And also, of course, how can they learn more about Lead at Any Level? Well, the easiest place to find me is at leadatanylevel.com. And you can learn all about the programs and the services I offer there. Um, I'm also all over LinkedIn. If you follow me on LinkedIn at Amy C. Wanninger, you will probably get a little tired of me after a while. But um, I try to put out really good content each week. I have a Monday live show that's designed for inclusive leaders. Um, I do a four o'clock Eastern uh, in the U.S., Eastern time zone. Uh, leader tips video every day that's three minutes or less. And on Thursdays, 
Um, I release a video podcast called Including You. That's available on LinkedIn and YouTube. And um, that's where I interview chief diversity officers and other executives who are actively um, advancing inclusion in their workplaces. So you will find me just about anywhere on LinkedIn uh, that you care to look. Perfect. And that just leads me to say for today, Amy, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you so much, Bill. It was a pleasure to be here. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.